Welcome to the Tarleton BSM Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Megan Trotter. I am so glad that you'd spend your Thursday night here with me at 402. Um, just to kind of catch you up on what's been going on, we've been in a series called Back from the Dead. It's a series about life, um, but also death. And specifically, we're talking about Jesus's death and Jesus's life. And last week, we started off by talking about Jesus's death. And this week, we're finishing up talking about his resurrection, his new life, his life after death. And so just to catch you guys up, if you weren't here or if you're like me and you sleep once and you forget everything, I'll catch you up on what we talked about last week. Um, So there were four main points last week. Uh, One of them being Jesus is God keeping his promise. So God kept his promise. He was a promise of the ages. All throughout the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout history, God is promising this Messiah, this promised deliverer to Israel. He promised it to Abraham. He promised it to David. It's just all throughout the Old Testament. God's making this promise to send his son to save us from our sins, which is the second point is that God died. Jesus died our death. And so Jesus died our death. He he didn't die a death he deserved. He died a death we deserve. And that's because of sin. The wage of sin is death. So any of our mistakes are rebellion against God. The punishment for that is death. And so Jesus came and he took our punishment. Okay, so he stood in our place, which also the third point is that Jesus defeated the power of sin in that moment. And so Jesus took our punishment, which is what sin held over us, was this punishment of death. Um, And it was killing us. And it is today. We see that. Um, But Jesus defeated the power of sin. And then lastly, he paved the way for us to follow. In Jesus's death, he set an example for us as Christians. And that's what we read the Bible. And there's a couple of things. We read about Jesus to know God's character, but we also read about Jesus so that we can reflect God's character. And one of God's characteristics is that Jesus was humble enough. He was such a servant that he would go all the way to the point of a cross, to death on a cross. And so he sets that example for us so that we would not only be willing to die physically for the name of Christ, but also die to our motives, to our old ways, to our old life before Christ, um, to our selfish desires, that we would die to that so that we can obtain new life. That's what we're talking about tonight, new life. What does it mean? Like, yes, it was, it's so sad, it's so horrible, it's so powerful that Jesus died for us on the cross, but it's so wonderful, it's so amazing, it's so powerful that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's what we're gonna look at tonight. And so if you were here last week, we were in John, we're still gonna be in John. So if you've got your Bibles, flip them open or flip them on. If you don't, that's okay. All of the words will be up on the screen. We're going to be in John chapter 20, which is practically about where we left off last time, okay? So last time we saw Jesus completely killed in one of the worst way possible on a Roman crucifixion, in a Roman crucifixion. And that really is, it's really a torture method for the worst criminals, And Jesus being perfect is just really, it's a shame. It was a crime. Like you read that and it's just distraught. Um, But we know that God knew what he was doing and Jesus willingly took his life for us. And so John 20, Jesus has been dead. Jesus has been buried in a tomb. 
They didn't dig six feet in the ground, throw some dirt on him. They put him in a tomb, okay? So like, think rocks all around, wall, and big door, okay? Like meant for no one to get inside. In addition to that, um, we're, we're not going to look at it this story, but another um, gospel, another book, describes this same tomb as one that was guarded. And so kind of have that picture in your mind is not only was Jesus' body sealed in a tomb, but it was also guarded so that no one could touch it. So we're going to start in verse 1. Just read alongside of me. It says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. All right, so already she knows something's wrong. A stone that's supposed to be immovable was moved. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So she sees this, she panics. She's like, somebody took Jesus's body. I don't know what they're gonna do with it, but it, they, nobody's supposed to touch his body. Like he's holy, he's good. Nobody should mess him, mess with him in his resting place. And so she runs to Simon Peter. We know lots of stories about Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. We talked about that last week because Jesus looked down from the cross and he said, take care of my mother. He said that he was like, I don't want my mom to be abandoned. Like, you're my best friend. Will you take care of my mom? So we know they've all just lived this tragic event. They're still mourning. They come to the tomb and Jesus is not there. And so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I think that's just kind of funny. Even back then, some people are faster. Okay. He bent over and he looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And so one of them's fast and he gets there and he sees, he like looks inside and he sees Jesus' clothes, but he doesn't see Jesus, but he doesn't go in. I mean, I'm not that, I'm not big of a fan of going in tombs either. Um, but Simon Peter, who we know to be adventurous, who we know to step out of boats, really cocky like, right? He says he came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He wasn't scared at all. And he saw the strips of linen there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who'd reached the tomb first also went inside and he saw and he believed. Parentheses. They did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Pause. Okay. Last week, we looked at some scripture where Jesus set his friends down and he said, hey guys, I'm going to die. God sent me to die. It's going to be bad it's going to be good. Like, I, it, it's okay because I'm going to come back from the dead in three days. He said that on multiple occasions. I encourage you, if you haven't read the book of John, you should read the whole book because Jesus so many times he says, guys, don't panic when I die because I'm going to come back from the dead. But it says, it says they still did not understand. That's me too. Same. Jesus, God has to tell me things five times before I get it. more than that, actually. Um, then the disciples went back to where they were staying and now Mary, so back to Mary. So Mary's the first one there. She's the last one to leave, stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and she looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have, and she said, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. Okay. Like, I, I can imagine she really is upset. Um, and th thinking that he, oh, let me go back. And she turned at this, she turned around, she saw Jesus standing there. And 
but she did not understand that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, you tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him. She cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said, don't hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Okay, let's just kind of recap this moment. Mary, she goes to the tomb, just like any of us would visit a graveside of somebody we loved. She goes to the tomb. The door is open. She panics. I can imagine she might've thought she was in danger. And so she ran back. And she told the men in her life, she said, come with me, come look at this. One disciple is really fast, but he doesn't go in. Simon Peter's slow, but then he gets in there. And then we see there's clothes, but no Jesus. There's, it's like Jesus was wrapped up, but then he's not anymore. Like his bandages, his wounds, his burial clothing, he no longer has on. But they leave, they don't know what to do. I, I imagine they probably went to tell people and went to like investigate. They think somebody stole Jesus's body. Um, and Mary stays there and she cries. And what I love about this is that Jesus in this story, he appears to a woman, like happy international women's, whatever. Like, like this, this woman, she stays there. She's the first one there and she's the last one to leave. And Jesus appears to her. Um, what's really funny, and this is not the only story where this happens, but Jesus is there and she doesn't recognize him. And this could be a lot of reasons. This could be like some mystical power. Jesus is like, let me see what she says behind my back, you know? Or it could be because the last time she saw Jesus, he was beaten beyond like recognition. Jesus, the last Jesus she saw was drenched in blood with skin falling off of his body. Like it would make sense that she, she didn't recognize him. I also think just in a spiritual sense, like I have, I've seen, like God moves in front of us all the time. We don't recognize him. And so it's not that far-fetched for me to be surprised that she didn't recognize him, but she doesn't recognize him. But as soon as he says her name, she knows. She knows that it's Jesus. And he goes on to say, hey, come on, we got things to do. Uh, we can't hug forever. Go, go tell the disciples like this, is what's about to go down. So this is where it gets really fun. Verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I kind of imagine the doors are locked. They think that people are going to come in and arrest them for one, because they were followers of Jesus who just got arrested, who just got killed. Makes sense. But also they're probably going to be the first ones accused of stealing Jesus's body, right? because they're gonna make up this grand lie that Jesus rose from the dead. They're gonna say Jesus was God because he rose from the dead when they really took his body and hid him over here. So they're gonna be the first ones the authorities come to look for. And they have the doors locked, but Jesus goes in anyway. You know, Jesus just appears there. And that's why I imagine Jesus has to go peace. I imagine he has to start with peace first. It's kind of like, guys, don't freak out. Like, I feel like Jesus is like, guys, don't freak out. Because they're about to flip out, okay? After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. When you, when you know about the crucifixion, like he was pierced in his hands to hold him up on the cross. Additionally, we read last week where they stabbed him in the side to prove that he was dead. 
And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Guys, this isn't the only stories of resurrected Jesus. And this isn't the only account of these first moments. But I think this is a a really fitting place to start. But I do recommend that you read. Like you go and research, you go and read. But I want to look at what are the facts. That's that's kind of what I want to look at tonight. What are the facts about this? One, Jesus rose from the dead. It's a fact. Guys, it's a fact. And a lot of people have argued otherwise. Today and as soon as the early church began in the Bible, people said Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Like Jesus is still dead. Like that's not, that's impossible. How can a person be dead, completely dead, killed in front of me, in front of a public arena, and then stay in the ground for three days, be pronounced dead, and then come back to life? People are like, that's impossible. But it is a fact. 1 Corinthians 15, 6 says that 500 people saw him alive. Like over 500 people. So it's not like the 12 got together and you'd be like, you know what would be good? Like if we could convince everyone that Jesus rose from the dead. No, 500 people consisted of his believers and like not believers, right? They saw him, they witnessed him. In addition to that, Acts 1, 3 says he stayed for 40 days. He stayed over a month after he died on the cross. And so Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't just kind of blip in and blip out. Like it's not like Peter put a weird beard on that looked like Jesus and like said a couple words and then flew away. This was 40 days of Jesus living the way he had been living his whole life. Like saying the words that he had been saying his whole life. And many people saw him. In addition to that, he ate food. Like you may be like, well, yeah. If you're going to live here 40 days, you got to eat somewhere. But like dead people aren't hungry. Like dead people don't eat. Jesus ate food on multiple occasions with people and he let them touch him. He hugged them. And even after this story in John, like immediately after, there's this moment where one of the disciples is like still, still on the edge about it. One of the disciples is like, I just don't, I just don't know if this is actually Jesus. I can imagine I'd probably be like that. I, I would hope not, but let's be real. And, and there's this moment where Jesus says, fine, stick your finger in the hole in my hand. Like, touch it and tell me that I'm not the one who died on the cross four days ago. And so Jesus rose from the dead, and it is a fact. Like, it is irrefutable, a fact, okay? In addition to that, it's important. Guys, if I'm being honest with you, I used to really not understand why the resurrection was important. The death makes sense. We all wear crosses around our neck. We get crosses tattooed on our arm. Like we, we look at the death of Jesus and we're like, yes, I get it. Because that was me. I deserve that death. I sinned. I deserve death. But when Jesus rose from the dead, we don't, really, we don't really get what that means for us. And sometimes we just don't want to explain it to people. So when we share the gospel, we just leave it out. We're like, I don't really want to tell them that. Jesus came back from the dead. Like, I don't know. It's easier for me to say, oh, he died than for me to say he rose from the dead. But it's a fact and it's important. In fact, it's so important that 1 Corinthians 15, 14 said that, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Like if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then all this is a lie. If you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then you don't believe Jesus is who he says he is. 
everything is vain if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And here's, here's a couple of reasons why it's important. Just a couple. It's not even exhaustive, okay? One is because the resurrection witnesses the immense power of God himself. To believe in the resurrection is to believe in God. If God exists, then he created the universe and has power over it, which means he has the power to raise the dead. If he didn't have that power, then he's not worthy of our faith and worship. You might be like, Megan, don't say that about God. But guys, if, if death defeated God, then death is worth of worship, right? Death is more powerful than God. And so this, this proves the power of God. And two, it's, it's the resurrection of Jesus, it validates Jesus. It validates that he is who he says he is. According to Jesus himself, he told, this, he told on this one occasion this story about Jonah. And he said, you want to know if I'm the son of God? Then just wait until I have to go into darkness like Jonah for three days and three nights. Like he said that, he said, just wait. When I will prove to you that I'm the son of God when I come back from the dead. The, the resurrection of Jesus, attested by all of these people, is the proof that he is the savior of the world. There's no argument to it. And only he who created life can resurrect it from death. And only he who can reverse the hideousness of death itself. And only he can remove the sting and victory over the grave. Like Jesus, this, the same point that it proves the immense power of God himself, it proves that Jesus is the son of God. And lastly, it proves that Jesus was sinless and divine. There's this beautiful psalm. It's one of my favorite. It actually probably is my favorite. But Psalm 16, it talks about God's holy one. God's holy one will not see decay. And it says that he will not see corruption. And Jesus never saw corruption in his life. And if he would have stayed in the grave, that would have been his flaw. That would have been his loss. That would have been the thing that he wasn't good at. Like death kept him down but he's flawless. And so he came back from the dead. The death meant nothing to him. And it was on the basis of this resurrection that Paul preached. And so Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he he said in Acts 13, 38 through 39, it says, through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from sin. And so that brings me to the second fact that we look at. The first fact being like Jesus rose from the dead. No argument. Jesus rose from the dead. The second one is that Jesus has brought us life in Jesus only. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. See, something, something really peculiar about this verse is one, it's before he died. <laughs> Again, Jesus is saying these things and they come to fruition. But we see that he doesn't say, I will resurrect and have life. He says, I am the resurrection and life. You see, Jesus makes this statement that not only did he resurrect, he is the resurrection. And so apart from Christ, there is no resurrection, which means apart from Christ, there is no life. There is no eternal life. There's no other way to find freedom from sin, to be in a right relationship with God, to return to what the good that we were created for. There is no way other than through Christ. And Jesus gives more than life. He is life. 
And that's why there's this other verse that I didn't put in there in John 17. It says, Jesus says, I am, like, I am eternal life. Like, eternal life is to know me. Like, eternal life isn't heaven and singing kumbaya and having no mosquitoes. Like, eternal life is knowing Jesus because Jesus is life. And those who trust in him, they get that life and they get the triumph over death. And Jesus's life brings us life. First John 5, 11 through 12, it says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and that this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Guys, we believe in Jesus Christ and those who believe in Jesus will have the, will personally experience resurrection um, because the life of Jesus and the life that he gives we get to overcome death and it makes death impossible to overcome us. It makes it death. It makes it impossible for death to win. And guys, not only does Jesus bring us life and his life brings us life and Jesus is life, but it's not an ordinary life. It's not the life we think of. It's not the American dream. It's not just making sure we survive. Like, you know, that's kind of what we think life is. It's like not dead. Like life is not dead. Anything that you're not dead, you're still living. Like, no, guys, this is life. Life to your bones, life to your soul, life to your head and your relationships and like true, holy and complete life. And I used to think, I used to think that life, this eternal life we talked about was heaven. And part of that's because when I became a Christian, I was told that I was saved from hell and now I could go to heaven. And both of those things are true. When, when, I, when I chose to follow Christ and I believed that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, then he justified me from my sins. He, he stood in my place and he took my punishment of hell away. And he promised heaven after this life, right? But guys, isn't that sad? Isn't that sad to think about? We just have to suffer and suck it up here on earth until finally the day comes where we get to go to heaven. Because I used to think that. I used to be so confused. I used to be like, why do we do anything? Why do we go to church? Why do we share the gospel? Why do we read the Bible? It doesn't matter because life is awful. And heaven is really where eternal life is. You know, this place is awful, you know? And some of us, like we feel that on a deep level, like we don't want to be here anymore. But guys, the life that Jesus offers, the eternal life, it starts now. And that's, that's the thing is, when Jesus died for us, he justified us for our sins. He stood in our place, he took our punishment, and he cleared our debt. But then he also promised this glorification, which is what which is what my church told me, you know? When you get to heaven, you'll be glorified. There'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. That's what heaven's like. That's, that's when we get there and we're glorified with God. It's our glorification. But there's this middle ground between the day we say yes to Christ and the day we meet him face to face in heaven. And this whole time, God doesn't leave us alone. He sends his spirit with us and he sanctifies us. Guys, that's the middle ground is that Jesus sanctifies us. He starts the process in which God makes us look more like Jesus. He prunes out the parts of us that are dead and sinful and crafts in us a new heart and a new name. And more and more, the longer we live, he frees us from simple patterns, from bad habits, and we get more and more of an understanding of God's love and character. And guys, with knowing God comes joy and peace and hope and self-control. 
Guys, impatience, all the things that we lack. And so the closer we get to God in this life, the closer we get to looking like God. And guys, that's, the, that's where the source of life is. That's where true life is. And there is no life apart from knowing Jesus. And so the third, so Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus brought us life. And thirdly and lastly, Jesus sends us out. John 20, 21, so that same, that same story, the very last verse, Jesus says, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Guys, we have a missional God. He says, as the Father sent me. You see, God sent Jesus on a mission here to save us from our sin and to bring us back to God. And Jesus completed it perfectly. He went on mission for us and he set that example for us. He went and went and reached a lost people. And this is what Jesus says. He said, the father sent me, but now I'm sending you. Guys, God sent Jesus, but Jesus is sending us. And the question is more so not if God is sending me or what is God sending me to? It's where? It's to who? Because that's, that's God's heart is to seek and save the lost. Another account of Jesus' last words in Acts 1.8, I just want to take a look at. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Guys, this is what I mean when I mean life. He gives us the Holy Spirit. So Jesus didn't just abandon us here. Jesus gave us his spirit to be with us and to stay with us so that we could live like God intended, which is on mission to the ends of the earth. And there's, and there's, there's four places it lists is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And at the time, this really meant like home, your neighboring countries, and everywhere else. If you run out of places, then go to the next place. That's pretty much what he's saying. And guys, that's the truth with us too, is we go to our home, we go to our people group, we go to our friend group, and then we go to the next people, and then we go to the next people until you run out of people, which you won't, right? That's, that's not the command for us as a group. I mean, it is, but it's the command for us as individuals. We take the gospel where it's never been before. This, this whole series um, has been building towards Easter, Right? Next week, we don't have 402 because it's Good Friday. Um, we just figure y'all will probably travel home, a lot of you. Um, so we're not going to do 402. Um, but that doesn't mean that God isn't worthy of worship and reading his word and applying it, right? That's, that's the goal of 402. Why can't we do that this next week anyway? Not in the parking lot. Don't come here. Um, but this verse, Acts 1-8, starts in Jerusalem for a reason. And I think it's because we start at home. I think it's because we start with the people God has clearly put in your life. We start at home. Your roommate, your mom, your cousin, your grandma, whoever it may be, you start at home. And if you look in your seats, there's a card um, that wasn't just like a business card accidentally thrown there. Like this card is meant to be a challenge. Um, as a BSM, we're being sent out. Maybe against our will, maybe not. But go home to your families and take the gospel with you. Take that card and write someone's name on it. Someone who needs to hear it. 
Guys, there are people in your family that doesn't know Christ. And I really don't know if I believe you if you said otherwise. Guys, we've got to open our eyes. There are people that God's placed in our midst that need to hear the gospel, that need to know the saving love and grace of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and how he came back from the dead. And so this is the challenge. And maybe you're not going home, but you sure do live within close proximity to 12,000 other people. Tarleton is our home. We bleed purple and so we take the gospel to Tarleton. There's a reason the BSM bought this land is to be as close as possible to those gates as we could ever be because we're going that direction. We don't need a long walk. We need to go. And so we take the gospel. We are his witnesses. And so we tell, just like Mary did, everything that we see and hear Jesus do. And maybe you're here tonight and you haven't given your life to him. Guys, and some of us, like we look and we've claimed Christianity for a long time. We've been in church for a long time. But if we look at our life, we're on the throne and Jesus isn't. Guys, if we look, if we look at our life, school is on the throne and Jesus isn't. Guys, we want to give our whole life. We want to die to our old self and jump into a new life with Christ. And yeah, it's scary and it takes some sacrifice and it takes some unknown, some faith, but it's never not worth it. It's always worth everything. Following Jesus is worth everything because there is no life, no resurrection apart from him. And so if you haven't followed Jesus or you haven't been following Jesus, tonight's the night to take a, take a hard right turn and say yes to Jesus. Guys, if the band will come up, I want us to think about really, like during this time of worship, really who is it? Name them. And at minimum, pray for them. But give that card to them. Share the gospel with them. And guys, if, if you're here in Stephenville or whatever you're doing, I encourage you to go to church. Guys, the BSM is not a church. It probably doesn't surprise you because I'm up here, right? <laughs> Like the BSM is not a church. Like we can worship God here. We can study God's word here. We can go on missions here. But we're still, we still don't have all of the wonderful things that churches have to offer. And so if you don't have a church here in Stephenville and you're staying here for Easter, like I do encourage you to go back to the welcome table and find some information on some churches. Now, one of the few things the BSM is really good at is connecting people to churches. We've got information on just about every church in Stephenville. And so... Guys, go to church and take your family with you. Go to Jesus and take your family with you. I'm going to pray and then we'll worship. God, I just thank you so much for your sacrifice for our sin. God, I'm thankful even more for your power over it and your power over death. God, I trust you. I trust that you're good and that you're powerful and that you say who you are who you say you are. God, I just pray that you would take our lives and you would make it yours um, because you really are the only source of life. You really are the only source of good and happiness and joy. Um, and you're the only source of eternal life. I just pray that we would trust you that anyone here that's being held back by something, God, that they would see that you're worth it. I thank you for um, following through, for being um, gracious and kind and merciful and laying down your life for us and taking it back up again. 
God, I look forward to worshiping you forever and ever and ever. Um, and I'm thankful that we can worship you here now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Tarleton BSM podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe. To keep up with everything Tarleton BSM, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tarleton BSM. See you next time.